What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Vanguard Project. Before we jump into an awesome episode with Devin from Epsilon Outreach, a few quick comments. Today's episode is brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee. I am indeed a caffeine addict, and I freely admit this. And uh, for those of you that are uh, maybe out hitting uh, the mountains for your mid to late season hunting trips, uh, snag some Black Rifle Coffee bags. They're little steep bags that are filled with luxurious coffee. Uh, they are among my favorite ways to get my daily dose of caffeine while I am uh, camping, hunting, whatever the case may be. So be sure to use code Vanguard for 20% off damn near everything on Black Rifle's website, including subscriptions. So once again, be sure to use code Vanguard for 20% off. Go do it right now. A few quick comments and announcements in addition to that though. First thing, thank you all for the continued subscription or subscription subscription to the podcast, reviews, ratings, all of the good things. If you haven't yet, please take just a second to get after it. It means so much to me. It's a good motivating factor, something I enjoy seeing, and it also helps get the message of the show out to people, which is uh, is important to me, and I hope that you uh, find it is important to you as well. Uh, the wife and I have been working on uh, getting um, new designs uploaded and uh, ready to go in our shop. So if you uh, feel the need and want to uh, rep some designs and shirts and help us get out there a little bit more, uh, hit up the website, VanguardStories.com and uh, pick up some swag. And uh, with that also being said, I clearly have had too much caffeine today because I'm running through these announcements. Um, follow, us, follow us on the Instagrams. It's uh, where I spend a lot of time, maybe a little bit more than I should, uh, engaging with people. I like to do polls, Instagram lives, giveaways, answering questions, kind of just engaging with people. And that's one way that I... Uh, uh, get in contact with folks and engage with you all and uh, hopefully share the message to uh, the audience as much as I can. So I will link that in the episode description and I would love to get connected with you all. It's uh, just the Vanguard Project. But beyond that, I should probably go drink some water because uh, caffeine hit hard. And uh, you all have a great day and uh, let's hit it. Let's hit this episode. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Vanguard Project. For those of you tuning in for the first time, my name is Austin Jardine, and uh, I'm just some dude outside of Boise, Idaho, that loves to uh, sit down and talk to people. And uh, you know, through talking to people, we're hoping to get some good information, maybe some life lessons, stories out there, so that way, if you're trying to learn something, figure out what that next step is, we can learn uh, through other people's experiences. And uh, with that being said, I've got Mr. Devin on the phone. We've uh, coordinated across some several uh, several time zones as uh, you're currently out in the world, man. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> yeah, it's like noon for me on Monday. You know, I've got the day off and uh, it's what, eight or nine for you right now? Uh, it is 8.01 p.m. over here in Eastern Europe. <laughs> nice, man. So I appreciate you hopping on. Uh, we talked to your significant other, Bree, a couple of days ago. Uh, sure did. And so uh, she was like, you need to reach out to Devin because that guy, not only <laughs> is he like a smart son of a gun, like he's an intellectual, but he's got some good stories. So uh, really, she, man, she gives, <laughs> she gives me more credit than, than <laughs> dude, but it's because she loves uh, me. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, and, and your birthday, you said it's coming up soon too, right? Yep. It's on, uh, yeah, my birthday is on Friday. I'll be 29 years old. Oh gosh, dude. I just turned 29. It's all downhill from here. I tell you what, 
I've been in the army for 11 years. It's been downhill. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough, man. Well, um, to kick it off, if you don't mind, uh, you know, usually how these things go is I'll just have you introduce yourself and then, um, kind of, as you start talking, I'll, uh, interrupt and maybe get to know you a little bit if that's cool. Sure. Sounds good. Um, so I guess that's where I, I kick in. Uh, yeah, my name's Devin. About to be turning 29. I've been in the army for 11 years, coming up in October. Uh, that's pretty much taken up the most of my life and everything I've done, both like active duty or transferring to the National Guard and my civilian job basically stems from my skill sets and experiences that I've gained from the army. Uh, hobbies, I love shooting, I love instructing, I love soccer, although I have a bad knee and a worse knee, so I don't really play it that much anymore. Uh, love to cook and generally just hang out with my bros. I got a daughter. She's turning three in November. Nice. That's super, that's super exciting because she is big and sassy and just getting bigger and sassier every day. And it's it's awesome to see, but it's also a nightmare because it's going to be tough to deal with when she gets older. But right, I'm excited right. for it. I know I'm scared to have kids because um, I'm I'm a smartass in my own right, and my wife is oh. is sassy, so <laughs> I'm like scared because regardless of, of you know son or daughter, at the end of the day, I'm gonna be like you are a little devil child. <laughs> yeah, it's it's gonna be the worst, but that's that's what we get. Fair enough, man. <laughs> it's all the payback from the stuff we gave to our parents. So. <laughs> that's true. So what uh, did you know growing up? I guess what led you to joining the army? I mean, is that something that you always felt like you knew you wanted to do? Um, so I've always, ever since I was a kid, I always had a interest in guns and like army video games, et cetera, et cetera. But I didn't necessarily know that I was going to join the army until my senior year of high school. Okay. Now, there's a couple of things connected to my high school experience. Um, one of those is the extreme amount of racism I faced during my high school years. Uh, I went to a vocational high school and was part of a very small group of minorities within that school. And as far as my class goes, um, there's maybe 250 people in my graduating class. And I was one of two or three black people in that entire class. Okay. So, and this isn't necessarily racism that as a lot of people understand it to be is like how it's like subtle or covert where it's just like a look or a word or how people treat you. Okay. This was the type of, this is the type of racism that was like overt stuff where like I'm getting nooses tossed at me in the hallways or okay. um, people are telling, call me an N word or saying my mom's an N word lover and that she deserves to hang in a tree next to me and stuff. Okay. So as a, as a young kid growing up or a young, young teenager growing up and experiencing that, it made me a very angry person. Right. And um, I learned how to deal with it. And it's how I'm so laid back nowadays. But that experience was a big reason for me wanting to leave uh, the state I was born in, in Massachusetts, and then just like go anywhere else, because I didn't want to be near that anymore. Right. And then on top of on top of that, uh, I initially had wanted to be an engineer because I love planes. I love aerospace and aeronautics. And I went to my vocational school because they had one of the best engineering high school engineering programs in the state. But then my senior year, I realized I just didn't really care about school that much. And that's probably connected to all the shit I was going through in school. Sure. But I had enough self-awareness to realize that if I went to a college directly following, then I'd either drop out or fail out 
and that's not something I wanted to do to myself. Okay. So I thought about like where I wanted to go, what I wanted to do. And there's a lot of military history in my family. Uh, both my grandfather served, um, one in Korea, one in Vietnam. My uncles, a bunch of my uncles have been in. Um, now a couple of my cousins who are my peers have also served as well. And I figured that was the best place for me, not only to be able to affect my transition out of the state and go and be an adult and learn and live, et cetera, but also just to do something cool. Cause again, I love guns. I love the military. I wanted to blow stuff up. Um, <laughs> like every kid coming out of high school. That. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, ex- exactly. Yeah. So I ended up enlisting uh, in the delayed entry program in my senior year. I enlisted, I think in March or May, one of those, um, and then graduated high school and then shipped off to basic training the following October. And yeah, now we're here. <laughs> Dang. Okay. So I've got a couple of questions that I was kind of writing down. Um, so, you know, sure. part of the, the show, right. Tends to get pretty personal. So if we mm-hmm. go down a rabbit hole, nix it and we'll move on. But yeah, when you, when you start talking about the racism stuff, so I'm, you know, I'm pretty oblivious, I guess, you know, to racism, mm-hmm. right? Like I don't see it. I don't really, I'm not aware mm-hmm. of it. Right. So to me, that sounds what you described as very extreme. So, Mm-hmm. A question I would have is, is if there's somebody that's listening or maybe, you know, things that you've learned through that to help you kind of cope with it or get through it or maybe combat the racism, is there anything that you've learned or that helped you got through that you might want somebody else to know? Um, yeah, it, it also it will depend on like what stage of your life you're experiencing these type of things. Like, so for me, everybody was 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 years old. So that's still considered the the formative years of someone's growing up. They're still perpetuating or uh, repeating stuff that was taught to them. So my first, my freshman and sophomore year of high school, I was just an angry kid. And I thought that any type I, anytime I experienced that, I had to meet it with aggression. And so I was fighting a lot and just like, I couldn't con- contain my emotions. Sure. But after my sophomore year, during that intervening summer between sophomore and junior year, I realized that I couldn't keep living like that because the, like the mental and emotional uh, expense that it was costing me was too great. Like I was always tired. I was always angry, just burnt out from trying to deal with it. And then I also like would talk to my mom about it kind of offhandedly because I would, I wouldn't tell her, like the full extent of what I was experiencing. And she would tell me, he's like, you have to realize that all these kids, they're just perpetuating and repeating ideas or behaviors that were taught to them by their parents. Now that's bad. Yes. But you have to realize you're in a position to where you can alter those perceptions and alter those behaviors and put them in a position to not be that person down the road. Now, yeah, it sucks and it's not fair, that you have to be the one to do that or that you have to, people have to do that for other people to be doing with. But again, we live in the real world. So if you can do that, you should, because that may help someone else down the road that may experience the same things you have. And it keeps them from experiencing that if you can break that cycle. So going into my junior year, instead of meeting everything with aggression and trying to fight my way through every conflict, I just started 
calling people out on their bullshit, trying to show them that they're wrong. And it took a lot of work. And again, even that tactic had its own mental and emotional cost. But at the end of it, uh, I was actually able to change a lot of behaviors and perceptions. And funny enough, I was the runner up for my prom king for my senior prom, <laughs> which is hilarious to me. That's awesome. So yeah. when you started trying to change those perceptions, were there any like tax that you tax and kind of techniques that you learned that were maybe a little bit more helpful than another one? Um, uh, not necessarily because each person in each situation that you're going to try and change or alter is going to be different. Nothing is going to be the same. Like even two people who are saying the exact same things, they come from two different backgrounds, two different sets of generational experience or um, whatever you want to call it. So you just have to work with what you got on the ground basically and take the information as it comes, take the person as it comes to you and then just figure it out from there. And it takes a lot of trial and error and that trial and error goes down as you get older and you deal with more people and you continue to go through life and uh, see these experiences. Cause now as an adult, the shit that I experienced in high school, I can recognize it from a mile away now and immediately know how to either maneuver around it, deal with it on my own, try and stop it or just not deal with it depending okay. on where I'm at. But yeah, it just, it, it comes down to, just being open and being willing to make the choice to do that, put in that effort to do that work in the first place and then just grinding through it. Okay. No, that's good advice. Um, you know, I, I haven't talked to anybody yet on the show about kind of tackling racism and people experiencing it. So I'm, I'm, you know, this is very curious. It's a, it's very something I'm curious about. Right. Cause I, you know, I, like I said, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm pretty ignorant to it. So I really don't know what it is that people experience or how they go through it and stuff like that. So I think that it's important, especially now where it feels like there's a lot of you're walking on eggshells. So it's nice mm -hmm. to hear, you know, how to look at it from a different point of view and, and I guess be a little bit more cognizant, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. So, and yeah, it's, it's definitely tough too, because just by the very nature of like the color of my skin, my lived experience is going to be uh, either somewhat or extremely different from someone who doesn't look like me. Right. And it's, it's hard for a lot of people to uh, break out of their bubble of the life that they lived and expand their critical thinking out to realize it's like, because of how this country was founded and the history of this country and all the things that led up to where we are today, that all of this stuff a lot of this stuff still exists within the very fabric of the justice system and policies that are made and legislation and even down to neighborhoods that have historical socioeconomic problems because of the civil rights movement that led to poverty, which leads to crime, which leads to an over-police presence, which leads to bad police relations between a minority community and the police, which leads to more poverty, which leads to more crime and just a never-ending perpetuating cycle of bullshit just because of stuff that happened in the past yeah. that not necessarily any of us are party to or are continuing to perpetuate now, but people, because it doesn't affect them or it's not a part of their immediate bubble, people are loath to 
expand their thinking that far out and objectively look at something like, yeah, because this country was legitimately built on the black, the backs of black people in slavery, and et cetera, et cetera. And then the civil war and the reconstruction era and the civil rights movement and all this other stuff, because we have 240 plus years of discrimination against a certain set of people that constitutes almost 70% of the history of our nation or a little bit more that there's of course going to be ideologies and legislation and et cetera, et cetera, that still exists, that still affects us more than it affects other people. Sure. So you brought up a good point about um, expanding people's, I guess, ways of thinking um, beyond their immediate bubble. So in your experience and, and I guess the way that you think about things, how would you suggest people to start expanding kind of their scope of, of thought and being able to look at these things a little bit with maybe a little bit more comfort, I guess. Right. Cause I think that that's one reason, you know, like you avoid things that are uncomfortable. Right. And I think talking mm-hmm. about this in particular is, you know, slavery and racism and kind of the history and kind of how fucked up it has been. Right. Mm-hmm. Is uncomfortable. Right. How do you, how would you suggest people to look at it and get more comfortable and looking at it objectively to make either change or recognition, or I guess I don't know the right word for this. Um, as, as harsh as it may sound, I would have to tell people to suck it up and get comfortable at being uncomfortable. Because if you want to expand your thinking and like widen your perceptions and get a deeper knowledge of how people, other people who don't have the same background as you, don't look like you, don't have the same lived experience or reality of life that you do. If you want to try and understand that, then you have to be willing to be uncomfortable and have those hard conversations and ask those hard questions and hear those harder answers that may make you feel uncomfortable. And it's not necessarily going to be anything against you or against your race. Cause a lot of people, uh, especially white people, they always seem to take things personally when like a black person or the minority talks about their lived experience. And because and it's because of how this nation is, et cetera, et cetera. White people always want to take that personally as it's an attack against them. It's like, well, I'm not like that. It's like, we know you're not like that. Does it change the fact that the people before you who looked like you put this in place and it still affects us to this day? And uh, if you want to help change that, then you have to be willing to be uncomfortable and wade through it just like us because this shit's uncomfortable for us every day. Okay. All right, man. Well, before we move on from, from this line of thought, is there anything else that, mm-hmm. that you feel is worth sharing that you've learned, want people to know, go look at? Because um, I feel like we could talk about this for a long time, but yeah that, yeah this is a this is probably this is a really big rabbit hole yeah yeah <laughs> we're just right now we're just like peering into it we're oh, not gosh. even inside of it yet <laughs> um no I, I think in the end it just comes down to if you are someone who this is your this is your reality of life then you have to as dumb as it sounds and as much as it may not fear be fair that you have to do so you have to try and do your part to help break the cycle mm. and the same goes for people who this isn't their lived experience you have to be willing to be uncomfortable and 
help break that cycle, ask the hard questions, hear the harder answers, and just listen and talk to people and try and expand outside your bubble because that's the only way anything can really get better. Okay, perfect. So you graduated high school and mm-hmm. you joined the army. Did you yep. go in like knowing, hey, I wanna, hey, I wanna shoot guns or hey, I wanna be artillery or hey, I wanna blow shit up? I mean, did you know what you wanted to do? Oh, yeah, for sure. So originally I wanted to join the military. I wanted to join the Air Force because I want to be a pilot. Because again, I love aircraft. Yep. Um, but the Air Force is super strict. And I work I still yeah, I still wear glasses and I didn't have a college degree. So they like, you know, get bent nerd. And I was like, <laughs> okay, cool. So I went out. I didn't go to the Marines because my cousin was going into the Marines. I didn't go to the Navy because fuck the Navy and in the water. I, uh, yeah. I don't like <laughs> I can, water. I hate the water. I hate deep water. Um, and I just didn't want to be stuck on a boat. So I went to the army. Uh, originally I had thoughts about being an army ranger and I was interested in pursuing a 11 X-ray uh, contract option 40 to go be a ranger go to rafts or infantry also go to rafts etc cetera, etc cetera. um but the wait for that for to get a slot for that contract was almost a year okay. just to get into that contract and then like ship date etc was would follow after that and i was at the point where i wanted to leave the state as soon as possible got it so uh, and this is where the big army this is where they suckered me in <laughs> is because um each MOS or military occupational specialty in the army has a promotional video, a, a recruitment video for it that goes <laughs> along with that MOS, right? Yep. Yep. So I'm scrolling down to my recruiter. Uh, his name's Staff Sergeant Pulley. He's retired now, but scrolling down, clicking on recruitment videos, whatever. And there's a recruitment video for a 19 Delta Cavalry Scout. And the recruitment video is one of the coolest things I'd ever seen in my life. It's, it's a recording, it's under night vision. So it's all, it's got the whole green tint, et cetera. And you see a, a Chinook come in and the blazer whipping, you see the edges lighten up. It comes in, it lands, it drops its ramp and a bunch of dudes on dirt bikes rip out of the back of the Chinook off into the wood line. And I was like, you know, I want to do that right there. And so I signed up for Cav Scout and I've been in 11 years, two different specialties, and I haven't seen a dirt bike to this day. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That's fucked up. That's funny though. Yeah. I will, I will say though, you like, you hear the, you hear the uh, cliche about how like army recruiters are always out there to like fuck you and get you in. I will say that, while my recruiter wanted me to enlist, he did try his, he did put in all of his effort to try and not get me into going to combat arms because I had a really high ASVAB score and he was an old school infantry dude, like invaded Afghanistan, invaded Iraq. And he was like, you're too smart for this. Go to like military intelligence, get a top secret clearance, something that you can translate and use after you get out. I was like, no, I want to drive off the back of Chinooks on a dirt bike (laughs) and shoot at people and blow things up. That's what I'm going to do. And he's like, all right, man. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll get that for you, but I think, I think that's long-term. That's not the best choice. So he tried. So I appreciate him for that, but yeah, I was, I was set in my decision at that time. So did you end up finding a, finding a route that you could jump out of planes and well, maybe not ride out of, ride out of helicopters or, or did you end up finding something else that you're stoked on? 
Uh, no. So I ended up enjoying my job pretty much pretty well. Uh, cause I was active duty for 2010 to 2014. I deployed to Afghanistan in 2012 to 2013. And, uh, yeah, at the time, at the time I was, I was an awesome soldier. I loved my job. I loved to work and I was on track to get promoted, like right at my 21st birthday, which is pretty fast, all things considering. Okay. Um, and at the time I had basically two paths open to me. I was either going to put together a packet and go to selection for special forces, or I was going to put together a packet uh, to be an uh, aviation warrant officer and go fly helicopters. Oh, that's I cool. hadn't, yeah, I hadn't exactly decided which path I wanted to commit to. So I was like working on both and I was just going to like figure it out. But then come up to August, 2013, maybe about a month before I was going to get promoted or go to the board to get promoted, I should say, because active duty getting promoted is not a guaranteed uh, right. thing. You still have to go to like a promotion board and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, about, yeah, August 2013, I was at a party. I did something super stupid and ended up uh, tearing my meniscus in my right knee, my medial meniscus, a very uh, pretty serious tears, pocket handle tears, almost completely, completely gone. Yeah. Um, and then the following week, I went to sick call, got an MRI. They were like, hey, yeah, your knee's fucked up. I was like, cool. What's next? They're like, uh, you got to go in for surgery. I went in for surgery the following week, which would be August 26, 2013. And then from August 26th or August 27th to, I think, middle of February, I spent that entire time. Uh, in crutches and on a brace trying to rehab and get back from that knee injury and uh, February the end of February is when I started terminal leave to process out of the army now if I hadn't and this is what I will tell people who are listening to this who either are currently serving uh, or just starting the service or thinking about serving um, one thing I do regret is letting my injury change my perception of myself and the perception of my job because once I hurt myself and I had to rely on people to like take me to the bathroom and help me shower and buy food for me and stuff there's a lot of self-loathing that goes into that okay. and especially in a community or the type of community where like weakness is not really uh tolerated and you're, you're like don't be a bitch suck it up drive on take a knee, drink water, et cetera, et cetera. And then also because I wasn't able to do my job and like be the type of soldier I knew I could be, I became very disillusioned with the army. So I was just ready to get out and like continue my life in another capacity. Um, so I regret how the, the injury influenced me in that way because if it hadn't i'd still be active duty now probably and would have achieved the goals that i had originally set for myself but again life is what happens when you're busy making plans so uh it is what it is yeah so how uh if you could go back and look at it and not let your injury kind of define you how would you how would you put that into words? I guess what what would that have looked like so somebody hypothetically is in that situation right now where they're like fuck I'm hurt. Do I get out? Do I stick it out? 
how what what would you and this probably is not a fun question to think about or answer but i mean i imagine it's been one that you've you've contemplated uh yeah i would tell myself uh don't be a bitch because it's super easy to feel sorry for yourself and let the pity you feel for yourself and your discontent and be disillusioned it's super easy to let that build up and influence your decisions and just quit instead of making the hard choice to get yourself better stick it out and move forward to getting what you want to get for yourself so yeah i <laughs> if i could go back 29 year old me to little 19 year old me or 20 year old me like don't be a bitch dude it all ends at some point yeah. all you got to do is get there and then it's fine <laughs> okay that's good advice keep moving <laughs> Just drive on man <laughs> so uh i know that brie and i talked that you guys do uh the epsilon outreach which is the the training mm -hmm. so how does that play into all of this so yeah epsilon outreach uh we're formerly known as epsilon northwest uh epsilon outreach is a washington nonprofit organization that I created with a bunch of my friends that in Washington that I've been instructing with for the past couple of years. So how we all started is we were working together with another guy in the industry and the Northwest and basically putting on semi-consistent uh, training classes that were free for the public to attend just to try and help put the information out there, let people get some training and bring people together. Um, then right around the time COVID happened, I was working at a brick and mortar retail shop, a very prominent uh, gun retailer in Washington. And we saw an almost 400% increase in firearm sales. Wow. Now, yeah, to put that in perspective, uh, before COVID happened, Saturdays would be our busiest day. And on a really good Saturday, we'd clear maybe $30,000 in sales for firearms and accessories and suppressors and stuff like that. Now, after COVID happened, or a few months into COVID happening, uh, there's the, the civil unrest and the economic uncertainty, et cetera, et cetera. We were clearing like $40,000 plus on a Tuesday Gosh. and doing that doing that every day of the week to the point where we couldn't keep things in stock. Yeah. Like we would get a, a literal pallet of rifles from BCM. Mm -hmm. And before the day was out, they'd be on the website. And before the day was out, all I'm those gone. would be sold Dang. online. Yeah. Okay. So seeing that type of increase in farm sales and farm owners, and also with the farm owners, it being a lot more people who are minorities, especially like Asians who are facing a lot of discrimination because of the COVID hoopla that was going around. And sure. then also just with everything going on, generally, we saw a lot of people who might have not, who might have not bought a gun before so a lot of left-leaning folks were now buying guns because they realized the importance of being able to protect yourself and protect the others you care about mm -hmm. so seeing all that kind of combined together and um become a, a sticking point we've decided to kind of step away form our own organization and bring some consistency and training to the community because one we believe that the right to own a firearm is something you're born with no matter who you are you should be able to own a firearm use it to protect yourself protect others whenever you need to that's unequivocal 
can't argue that. But at the same time, because of the dangers that are inherent to owning a firearm and the things that it is capable of, uh, we also believe that you have an obligation as a firearm owners to be safe and responsible with your firearm and also have the requisite training to do so and be competent. So the only problem with that is that there's a lot of people who offer training, but it's paid training. And that's not any knock on them because a lot of people are doing this for uh, their livelihood and they're paying their bills, supporting their family from it. And that's awesome. And there's so many people out there offering amazing training opportunities that you can pay for and learn so many awesome things but especially in this day and time where people are saving up for four five six seven eight months just to buy a glock and some ammo now you're you want to ask them to invest three four five hundred dollars for a training class and then pay for ammo for the training class and pay for travel and then lodging etc etc barrier to entry it's yeah it's a huge barrier for entry and it's not it's a barrier that a lot of people especially with the increased ownership are not able to surmount once they actually buy their firearm so the way for us at epsilon outreach our whole goal is to bridge that gap and get people the training where they can safely and responsibly have that baseline of skills to be competent with their firearm, but then also get the information needed to continue to train on their own, increase their competency. Okay. And then also, so say someone just bought their Glock, right? And they come to an Epsilon outreach class, a pistol class. Now they can safely and proficiently train with their pistol, do their own training outside of that. But now they're like, hey, I've gotten pretty good at my pistol. I want to go learn some advanced or intermediate stuff. I want to go take a a really good concealed carry class or I want to learn how to uh, deploy my pistol while in a vehicle or I want to take do something high speed then and the secondary function that Epsilon Outreach fulfills or hopes to fulfill is to facilitate and connect shooters with that outside training so if there's a shooter who comes to a class and gets trained up on rifle and gets into the community and is gaining that confidence and competency but then realizes he want to learn he wants to learn uh, like long range application for a bolt action rifle, then, Hey, yeah, we know a guy for that. Go check him out. Or you want to go learn how to clear a structure by yourself or, the, or with your significant other. Cool. We know people for that. Go check yeah. them out, et cetera, et cetera. So that's, yeah, that's basically the, the training side of Epsilon outreach. Um, but the, the other side of that coin is the community outreach side of Epsilon Outreach because everyone says the two-way community um, and throws the word community around a lot, but not a lot of people actually uh, input the work or care about what community actually means. So for us, Epsilon Outreach community is having a group of people that represent the totality of the people within society that you're trying to represent because having that totality of representation makes your community more um, legitimate and prevents uh, for us presents a stronger more unified front in the case of trying to influence policy and stop legislation that's aimed at reducing or taking away our rights in the first place because there's a lot of people who may look like me or look like another minority or they have a certain 
sexual gender or orientation or sexual orientation who unfortunately their only perception and uh, exposure to gun culture is your standard white tactical bro dude or yep. hillbilly with a shotgun and that's uh that doesn't present a what's the word the whole picture yeah the whole picture is often to them and it makes it makes them feel like it's not a place where they are welcome or could feel comfortable in okay. which i mean perceptions are perceptions and unfortunately that's just how people have seen things they don't have any other exposure to it just like someone who has has historical dealings with bad cops they're automatically going to think every experience with a bad cop going on is going to be terrible and they're prepared for that so we as epsilon outreach are trying to break that stigma and not only change the perception of gun culture from the outside of hey it's not all just bro vets and fucking tactical douches and hillbillies but it's everybody because this is and should be a place where everybody who is interested in owning a firearm or wants to get better training or just become more competent and better skilled should be that and it doesn't it shouldn't matter what you look like what gender you are what your sexual orientation is what your religious views are what your political views are as long as you are able to show up and uh, employ your equipment in a safe and responsible manner and you're not doing anything that is unsafe to others or impacts or reduces or tramples on the rights of others then you're welcome i like it so how how do you get that message out i mean how do you how do you how do you share that air of inclusion without i mean yeah i guess that's my question how do you how do you how do you let other people know hey this is this is what we're trying to do these are the types of groups which would be everybody that's welcome and and showing that it's not the tactical hillbilly shotgun wielding douchebags so uh i think our biggest way we do that is our our annual event called the puluck um we that was actually our first event when we first started as epsilon northwest that was in august of 2020 and then we just had our second annual one as epsilon outreach in august 2021 um so this is our huge annual summer capstone event. It's our one big community event of the year. It's where we host a potluck style gathering. We host a free competition, bunch of uh, a bunch of stages. We raffle off prizes. There's prizes for uh, each winner of each stage, et cetera, et cetera. And it's basically just a place where no matter who you are, it's free to attend. There's not really a, there's a cap on competitors just because for logistics sake, there's no cap on attendees. So wherever you come from, if you're willing to travel, you're welcome to show up. And the whole idea is just to get people in and expose them to other people in the community, maybe other people in their region or other people who are interested in the same gear, same gear, equipment, farms, et cetera, and just create that level of exposure to people can see the difference in their community and then from there it's just doing the hard work right now on social media and trying to uh put out that air of inclusion and making sure anybody who asks um about something like that and we just make sure to put them at ease because we had a couple people who dm'd our page um at epsilon underscore outreach on instagram (laughs) (laughs) um 
we had a couple people DM our page on before our PULUC, they had signed up, but they were apprehensive about attending because they didn't know if their uh, political uh, ideologies would be supported or they felt like they might be at risk, et cetera, et cetera. And we just put them at ease about letting them know, I was like, hey, this place isn't the place for political ideologies and it's not something that we're gonna necessarily tolerate. Now, if you're willing to have an adult discussion with someone and talk about it, that's the choices of you two. But like ourselves, our cadre, we're never gonna let anything get out of hand. And first and foremost, this is a space for people who just are in the gun community, love guns, wanna train and become better skilled and protect themselves, protect others. That's first and foremost. Outside of that, anything else is at your discretion. And it doesn't matter what you look like, what your gender is, where you live, et cetera, et cetera. You're always welcome. And our cadre will always make sure, no matter who you are, to protect you from people who would otherwise make you feel or make you feel otherwise. Okay. Okay. And you guys are all based out of uh, Washington state right now. Yeah, and, correct. Uh, how often are you uh, doing events, trainings? Pew Luck, you said is annual. If people mm-hmm. want to go, if people are free next weekend, can they find you? Uh, yes. Yeah, so free next weekend. Um, unfortunately at this it's time, hypothetical. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I wish I was free next weekend. Um, uh, no, unfortunately at this time, because everyone who, runs epsilon is doing this in their off time because we still all have jobs and families and obligations we have to uphold we right now can only really facilitate four main events a year so the pew luck every august and then we do uh three training events throughout the year depending on what we think the community could benefit from so last year we had the pew luck we saw a lot of people were struggling with pistol so we started off with a pistol class in October. Then with a linear progression, we went with a rifle class in January and then a rifle and pistol class in, uh, I think, March or April. And then the Puluk. So this year, uh, you can expect us to put out our next class in October or so. Sure. Um, and then anytime for our, our quarterly events, we always drop those or announce those at least a month in advance to give people the time to uh, get time off, schedule them, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. And then we open signups usually two weeks in advance. Um, unfortunately, because of our limited instructor capacity and we don't have our own private location to teach on, we have to utilize uh, forestry service or natural resources land. We only usually open classes up to about 20 students. One, so that we can maintain a one to three structure uh, student to instructor radio ratio, because there's nothing worse than people, even if it's free, showing up to a class and there's 50 people there and one instructor. And basically people are just walking up to the firing line, sending rounds down range, not getting any actual instruction or feedback and then leaving. And it's even worse when people pay for that. And so we want, that's something we want to avoid. And so, yeah, uh, next class should be in October, but between quarterly events, we try to facilitate uh, just regular range days where people could come out and hang out and shoot some rounds. We do uh, land cleanups. So a lot of the pits that we shoot either on the forestry service side or department of natural resources, we will go around and actually clean up all the trash and 
go take it to the dump so we can make sure we maintain access to those sites because they will get shut down if people trash them and people always trash them. And then we want to also do some smaller intermediary classes like uh, communications or uh, rudimentary first aid, et cetera, et cetera, inter interdispersed between our main events for the year. Awesome. Yep. Um, but yeah, if people want to reach us, they can always hit us up on Instagram at epsilonoutreach.com underscore <laughs> in the middle. And then uh, if you guys are want to send us an idea of a class that you want to take, or if you just want to get out and try and uh, shoot with us, you can do that too. Uh, we also have a Discord uh, server, and if you message the if you message the page, we'll send you an invite link to the Discord, and in there, that's where you can uh, facilitate uh, range days with other people who are Epsilon supporters are in the area, and basically the community setting up its own its own stuff within the greater community. And I think that's something that's really cool. That's cool. I think my last question is if people want to get involved, maybe helping out either getting or becoming part of your cadre, donating, something like that. Are you looking for people to help out in those arenas as well? Um, at this time, no. Uh, we have uh, we have eight full-time Epsilon members. And then we have a pretty heavy cadre of uh, homies who have been with us since day one that help us out as far as safeties and additional cadre and helping us do logistics for our, our huge events like the Pulak. Um, so on that side, we're okay for now. Again, hopefully that will change when we start expanding and if we can transition to this is something that we can do full-time as a job. Yeah. Um, but on that front, uh, we're pretty good. We're pretty okay. But if people want to donate, um, you can hit us up on Instagram. We'll give you our PayPal or Venmo, Venmo information. Um, just as a note, currently, don't any donations you do provide to us will not be tax deductible. However, we are currently pursuing our 501c3 from the IRS, and once we do get approved for that, then donations will be tax deductible. Okay, Devin, man, is there anything that you feel like we're missing that you uh, want to share? Or uh, we skipped over maybe a little too fast? Uh, no, we talked about the Army. The Army's cool. Um, talked about Epsilon re Outreach. Epsilon Outreach is even cooler. Uh, we we peered into the hole of racism, yep. the rabbit hole of racism. Can never see the bottom of that thing. So No, which I, I think it would be fun, you know, fun being an odd word to use, but but worth talking about maybe at some point in detail, you know. Because, yeah, sure. uh, you know, if you're if you're ever comfortable with it, just because I feel like that's a topic that I feel like the word racism gets thrown around a lot. But, you know, I I didn't grow up experiencing it. I my family mm -hmm. was not racist. You know, I never had any undertones of it. So, like, to me, it's like I don't understand it. You know, like, I don't understand how people could do stupid shit like that. You know? Yeah. So, it's, I mean, it, it's fucking weird to me. It, it is weird and it's what's even what's even weirder is like the experience for black people and how they experience racism is also different so like for me i grew up in a pretty liberal part of new england and minus my high school experience which is super extreme side of the spectrum of racism minus that experience or those couple years my overall experience as a black kid and 
Western Massachusetts wasn't bad. And then going into the military, there's not really overt racism as there would be in like the 60s and 50s and 40s, et cetera. But there still exists the, the good old boys club and et cetera, yeah. stuff like that. But even then, my experiences are different from someone who grew up in a historically poor neighborhood that had historical socioeconomic problems and like was over-policed and et cetera, et cetera, and had to make different decisions because of the different choices or lack of choices that they had going from there. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a huge Pandora's box, but <laughs> I would, I would love to open it and look at there everything that comes out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man, we'll have to sit down again and chat. Devin, dude, once again, I appreciate you taking the time, sharing your life experience and the knowledge and some of the things that you've gone through growing up and, and peering into the the dark world of racism in a way that, you know, I hope people were a little uncomfortable with and uh, made people think and, and kind of reflect a little bit on and, and start to change behavior, at least be able to identify it. But I also appreciate you sharing a little bit more about your experience working up through the Army and then Epsilon Outreach and then really being a role model in the community of firearms and helping bring people in and showing them what the world is like in terms of firearms and how how awesome and fun in the community actually can be so i hope that everybody listening uh took some good information away feels like they are empowered to go uh maybe change some perceptions get involved in the community a little bit more or uh feel like they can become uh engaged in the world around them um, but beyond that i hope you all have a great day and we'll catch you next time